Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Appreciate it, Anderson. How about that, Sanjay? 20 years uh, in. I mean, amazing. It's uh, what, a, what an incredible career, an incredible contribution. And particularly this last year, I just feel like he's gotten a lot of us through some very, very difficult times. Oh, absolutely. And I know you were obviously joking, saying, hey, you've really been here 20 years? Because, you know, you guys, uh, when you and he are together on a story anywhere in the world, uh, the humanity that's brought to bear and the relative acumen, you know, obviously nobody's been uh, in tough times more than you when it comes to coverage in our generation of journalists. And with his medical acumen, uh, it's just an amazing combination, and it has been now for a long time. He's got some years on you here at CNN, but I'm not sure. what a for, what I'm a getting for, close. What a formula. Take, take the discount. Yeah. Um, but it, it's great to remind him, and he also reminds of the great work this place does, especially when you guys are side by side. It's nice to see him recognized. Take care, my friend. Thanks, Good Chris. to see you. All right, I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. Another policing story ends in a funeral. That means we have another chance to ask if one person's end, this time 20-year-old Dante Wright, killed by a cop who thought she had a taser out, will this end create a beginning for change? Now, like most social problems, this is complicated, right? Half of you say black people have a better chance of being struck by lightning than by a cop. Then why are so many people of color looking up at the sky so often? Let's look at the data, you say. That's as much a false corridor as it is to any kind of path to reality. How do you want to assess? How many are killed by race, armed or unarmed? You want to do crime by race? You want to do raw or by percentage of population? How about by police contacts? How about by community? How about our stops that don't result in arrests? Or how about arrests or use of force as a function of type of stop? How about stop and frisk versus compliance versus a culture of subservience? being forced upon a people. When you look at it that way, we'd rather avoid the numbers, right? It's easier to say, I support Black Lives Matter, or I support the blue. But what do we know? That conflict, that polarity, is the reason for the bruise on our society. We can't be a black and blue society. It has to be about what this country is about for everyone. That idea gets so daunting that we can't wait to forget about Dante. Of course, there's a pull to move away, if only to avoid the pain, if only to pretend it's just so pointless, to avoid the problem and all its complications. But I have to ask, aren't enough of you just tired of shrugging your shoulders? This is the time to stick. I don't mean pile on. I don't mean demonize police. The changes that we need are to help the police as much as to help anyone. But we have been doing it wrong by cycling from crisis to crisis because there's always a case. There was a case as we waited on the Floyd case verdict. Then, before we could get straight on what happened and why a cop may have had to shoot 16-year-old Makia Bryant as she lunged at another kid with a knife, there came another case. A man killed by police in North Carolina. How did serving a search warrant turn deadly? Now, in that case, we have a familiar problem. No body cam video. Transparency is everything, especially when there is so little trust among those in the minority. A big reason that the Bryant shooting kept people from the streets was that we all got to see what happened. She was charging at two other girls with a knife on Tuesday. One got knocked to the ground. The other is the girl in the pink sweatsuit. The officer first to arrive on the scene, he did have a split second decision to make. You may not like it, but that is the decision. There are too many where we can't see that reality. 
Then you say, well, but why are people upset here? Well, first of all, they're upset because a kid died. And because there's something else that you have to recognize. There's not trust between police and these communities. They've been kept in the dark on too many cases to trust easily. So even when they can see it, they are left wondering. There was another case in Columbus, Ohio. Did you know this? Back in December, a police officer named Adam Coy shot Andre Hill, who was a guest at his friend's home, not an intruder. A neighbor had called in a complaint. There was a car sitting in front of his house being turned on and off. Cops come. They find a black man in the garage. They tell him to lift his hands. Guess what he does? He lifts his hand, has a cell phone in it. The other hand is obscured. As it starts to come out, the officer gets spooked. Gun, 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 gun. Shoots him four times. No weapon recovered at the scene. The officer now charged with murder. Oh, see, system worked, you say. Hardly. The answer is not simply to punish what's done wrong when a life is lost. And by the way, punishment has turned out to be very challenging. But the key is to figure out not just why it went wrong, but why can't it go right for people who are black as often as it does for people who are white? What I mean is there are so many instances of cops acting differently towards white suspects who even actually have weapons, who are like openly hostile to them. And they don't get taken down with deadly force. Just last week, police say this guy trapped a cop's arm in his truck window while attempting to flee. Police say. We all saw it in the video. There's video of it. He drags an officer away, hanging by his arm, later attacks the officer with his own rescue hammer. Look at him. He looked like they laid a hand on him. That's how he was arrested. Oh, I thought you said they're not supposed to hit him. The point is that people who are minorities want to wind up looking like this when people from their number gets arrested. How about this guy? Body cam shows a suspect while back in North Carolina attacking a deputy with a knife and reportedly stabbing him. What'd the deputy do? Used a taser, not a gun, arrested alive. The police officer did the job the right way. The police officer's job sucks that he has to get involved in this. But he didn't shoot him. Why not? Now, I don't want him to have shot him. Would he have shot him if he were black? Oh, we can't answer that. Yes, we can. That's the point. How about this guy in Florida? He allegedly attacked his family and was wielding a knife as cops arrived and the officers reportedly pulled out tasers and were eventually able to apprehend him. Would it have been different? I don't have cases to show you where people are brown and black in that situation. Now, look, if you want to go case for case, I'm happy to do that. There is this supposition thrown out all the time. Man, this happens to white people way more. Show me the cases. Not one here, one there. If it happens that much more and we white people are well over 50 percent of the population, show me the regular flow of cases of people who don't deserve it, who get their ass whooped and worse by police. Now, by the way, you know what the truth is then? Now you'll agree that there must be a problem with policing, right? But more specifically, You don't see that flow of cases. You just hear them mentioned because they don't exist. I don't want to cover these cases anymore. I don't like it. They don't juice the numbers. That's all BS. If I just move on, then I know what happens. We wait for the next one that is so unbelievable that we have to go back to it. I'm telling you, it's a mistake. We have to continue the conversation. We have to stick And I want to do that tonight with the better minds, Van Jones and Anthony Barksdale. It's good to see you both. Um, One thing that we can correct, uh, Commissioner Barksdale, the body camera footage has to come out. Now, in the beginning, they didn't want to get the body cams. Now, more and more, everybody's getting the body cams. In the beginning, there was this uh, false uh, argument set up. Well, you know, it can be very prejudicial when you see it out of context. No, you show all of it. It is the opposite of prejudicial. Now it's about the timing of release. 
the North Carolina case I alluded to, the police haven't released it. Is there any good reason from the police perspective, the job you did as commissioner, to withhold tape? Chris, transparency is everything. The minority communities, they they don't have the trust in the system. They don't have a trust in um, many police departments to release footage as soon as possible should be the goal of all at the top of these departments over in, uh, in the politicians' uh, rooms. Get it released. Let the citizens see what happened. And I know you've pushed over and over again that body cams need to be out there. Look, you are- it helps everybody. Uh, look, uh, Van, look at the situation. Um, a horrible loss of a child. And I don't know why people are coming at me because uh, she was a good-sized kid. She's still a kid. 16 years old. You could be 4 foot 8, 50 pounds. You could be 6 foot 2 and 180 pounds. What's the difference? 16-year-old kid. If you didn't have that body cam video and you just had to hear the officer's representations of it, we would not be where we are right now. Transparency matters. How? Well, it matters because um, you, what you said early on, which was so heartbreaking to hear, but so true, which is there just is no trust. And without trust, nothing works. And so how do you get from no trust to more trust? You, first of all, you got to acknowledge you got a problem and you got a bunch of people on another network that won't even acknowledge that we have a problem. Maybe, maybe some people are overstating, maybe some people are understating it, but clearly we have a problem. And then you begin to build, do trust building measures. And one of those things is, you know, put out the information, put out the data. And by the way, what happens is when there's cover-ups, like there was, you know, in, in the case uh, that we just went through, where the initial statement was a lie from the police department, not from the officer, from the police department. Don't forget, uh, when, in the Chauvin uh, situation with George Floyd, the police department said it was just a medical incident. They had the body cam footage, but they still put out a lie. So now they're under investigation by the but, but now you will have, in a few more years, you'll have a lot more trust in whatever's going on in that community because you got a police chief that, that, that fired the cop. you got a police chief that put out the right information. you got a police chief that testified. you got the federal. Now you can begin to, build, to rebuild some trust. But the reality is that right now uh, there is no trust, and so uh, every one of these cases is tough. And th- let me just say one more thing, Chris. People always say, well, Van, you never talk about the street violence. You never talk about what's going on. That is a damn lie. That is a lie. They said, quit saying that. We have movements, you know, silence of violence in Oakland, which I helped to get started. We, d- we go to more funerals than we want to. The problem is when you've got a community crushed between unlawful street violence and unlawful police violence, when you don't have the trust, who do you call? When the street violence happened, you can't call the police because you, they might come and make it worse. And when the police violence happens, you can't call anybody. And so quit saying this crap. We're tired of going to funerals when kids are killing kids, when cops are killing. We got too many funerals. So, so, and nobody's got a better interest in getting policing right than us because we can't do anything about the street violence or the police violence until we get it fixed. If you care about us, help us get it fixed and quit saying stuff that's not true. We, 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 we candlelight vigil after candlelight vigil, movements in every city against gun violence. And, and, and to say that th- those movements don't count is a lie. Those movements are as big or bigger than Black Lives Matter, but you never support us when we are marching in those movements. Bark, I have a quick investigative point. Um, yes. The cop in the Makia Bryant case, the reporting is that he was a trained sniper uh, in the mm. military. Now, if that is true, it explains why he had the confidence to take what is absolutely a hard shot. You know, as somebody with novice level um, weapons training as a gun owner, Um, that's a tough shot when somebody else is right there. He took the shot, hit with four rounds, did not hit the girl in pink. But it also raises a question. Did he have to shoot four rounds? If he's that good a shot, could he have stopped with one or two and increased the chance of survival? Or is that not a fair question? No, it's a fair question. Um, One of the roles when you are... uh, Look, first of all, it's a tragedy. It's sickening to watch. And I am sorry for what happened. But when you are shooting, officers are trained, whether he had prior military experience or not, they're taught to shoot to incapacitate. His perception at the time, 
might be different than someone who thought that she was incapacitated with one, two, or three shots. And Chris, when you are in a situation like that, it happens so fast. Four shots can happen in basically a blink of an eye. And the threat was stopped at that point. Uh, you telling me about his background, about being a sniper. Okay, now I get it because I expressed some concern of shooting so close to the uh, young lady in the pink. Um, but four shots, the young lady was incapacitated. I'm not celebrating that, but that is the job. That is the training. Can I say something about it? I'll give you a last word, Van. Go ahead. Yeah, the, the thing I want people to, 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 to think about is, suppose he pulled the gun out and the gun had jammed. Would he have just stood there? Or would he have gone over there, closed the distance, and done something? So I'm not, I understand that. Tap, tap, go. What? Say again, Bark. Gun, gun jams. Yeah. Tap it. Rack it. Go. Get back into action. That's the, that's the muscle memory of it. But, Van, I understand exactly what you're saying. Would he de-escalate to another right. uh way to get to it. I understand that. But if he's prime military sniper with the training, he's taught to get back into action and do what he's supposed to do. All, all I want to just point out is that for, for law enforcement around the world, they don't have guns in the first place. Now, in our country, we got an armed citizenry. You have to have an armed police force. I understand that. Mm -hmm. But just understand that other, uh, if you're in the UK, somebody has a knife, you, you're trained to get the knife away from them without shooting them. They come at you with a, with a, a stick, a, a bottle. Our officers are trained mainly on weapons because that's where we are at. But just imagine a world where whatever that cop would have done if the gun didn't work, that was his first go-to instead of his second. That's the only thing that we're asking. We just want our kids to have the same opportunity to survive their dumbest mistakes as every other kid has. That's I'm all we're you. asking for. I'm with you, and I, I, and I hate, uh, not you, never could. Um, I hate that we talk about your kids and my kids. Um, as if, you know, fair point, uh, but for, you know, but for color, uh, they all bleed out the same way. We've seen that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I will say this, and I've heard this a lot and it's probably an interview I should have gotten. I should find the parent of the young lady if they're alive, um, in, uh, the pink sweatsuit, because if you're the parent of the kid in the pink sweatsuit, you don't want to know about what plan B was. Mm -hmm. Um, with somebody lunging at your kid with a knife. And I hate it. And I hate that it happened. And I hate that the choice has to be made. And I understand now better today because of you and the help of some others, why even though this situation seems like you can explain it, I may not like the explanation, but you can explain it, it still hurts. And it reminds yeah. of an inexorable an endless and implacable and unmanageable situation where you don't get a break if your skin is brown. I hear you. I feel you. That's why I'm doing the story tonight. Van Jones, as always, Anthony Barksdale. I like the commissioner so much I gave him a nickname, Bark. Just started calling him that because the only guy I know with that name other than him, that's what I call him. <laughs> Be well both. Thank you very much. Thank Look, you, here's what we know. Um, you know, we're going to talk more about the Micaiah Bryant story. Why? It is not a great case to show police not doing the right thing. But because of that confusion for people. I don't get why, why are people upset about this? Well, one, you lost a kid. Two, because it seems like there's never a good ending. It never goes any other way. And when you lose a kid, a family loses everything. Okay? Micaiah Bryant had a mother. She's here tonight. Who was her kid? Why was she in that house? What does her loss mean? Next. We spend a lot of time in these cases talking about the officer. Why? Because it's, they're the ones who are trained for situations like this. We're worried to make sure that we're kept safe by the people who have to keep us safe. And they are the ones who work for us. But we don't want to lose sight of what was lost. And this isn't about deifying people. It's not about being dishonest about who they were. It's about reminding that they were, that they're people. In this case, in Columbus, Ohio, young people 
okay? Um, Micaiah Bryant was 16 years old. Her life, the pain her family is feeling, matters. Joining me now is her mother, Paula Bryant. And Ms. Bryant, I'm very sorry to meet you under these circumstances. Um, but I also don't want your child to only be known by the incident that ended her life. Yes. I don't either. I want the world to know that Micaiah Bryant was a very loving 16-year-old girl. She was my daughter, my baby. I loved her. She was very talented and smart. She was funny. Her favorite color was blue. And um, I'm just so hurt right now. I'm grieving. You have to excuse me. I'm grieving right now. You do not need any excuse, ma'am. And um, um, I totally understand and I appreciate you putting words to the face and the name for us. And let's talk about your experience for a second. How did you learn about what happened to your daughter? I had a phone call and I was at the dentist's office um, in Columbus, Ohio. And I got the phone ringing and I said, excuse me, I, I have to get this. I got the phone, I said, hello. And I got the disturbing news that Micaiah was shot. And I said, what? And the phone was on speaker and the, den the dentist assistant said, You're, we completely understand. I'm going to help you. She helped me out the chair. She said, you have to go. We'll reschedule. And my heart was beating fast and I didn't know what to think. And no parent should have to go through this. I can't, I, I, no parent should have to go through this. If this is so unreal, the hurt that I feel, I'm devastated. I was shocked when I heard the news. I, it was unbelievable. Have you been able it's to bring yourself to watch the video? Yes, I have. But I, to tell you the truth, I, I, I can't, right now I'm, I'm grieving. And I can't even watch it to the end. I can't. I, I, I want to remember Micaiah, you know, the good things about Micaiah, the loving things about Micaiah. Um, that's what God wants me to do. I'm in God's hands. Um, Micaiah, I believe, is in heaven. She's an angel. Um, I don't know if you can see, but I have this mask. And uh, God, God is ordaining and, and making a path for us right now. Um, he's giving me strength every day. And uh, I have faith. I have faith um, in God. Because God will not put too much on you that you can't bear. You know, and I'm putting everything, everything, this whole situation, even Micaiah is in God's hands. On your mask, you have your daughter's full name. What was her full name? Yes, I do. I can't read it. Okay. Her name was Micaiah. And she's named after a male prophet in the Bible. And her middle name, she has two middle names. That is our family tradition. And it's Zyriana Tylea Bryant. And is there family significance or other significance to those names? Yes, all, you know, that, that runs in my family tradition of two middle names. Um, so I, I'm a single mother of five kids and, you know, um, now Makaya is gone and I only have four kids. And I can't. That is so hard for me to say. Let me ask you this. For people who are learning about your daughter as a function of this incident, 
in this midst of this big national conversation about policing and what do you want people to know? The killing needs to stop. Um, there's been too many killings in the world. I want the killing to stop. I've always had sympathy for the Brianna Taylor story and her family and her friends and her situation. And now I know what it feels like to lose a child. Micaiah is gone. And I want the killing in the world to stop. And that's what Micaiah would want. Micaiah was peaceful. She was loving. She wanted everybody to get along. She was a Christian. And that's what I want to say. I want the world to stop this killing. Paul, I know this is a hard time for you. And I appreciate you taking the opportunity to give people another look uh, at your daughter other than where she is in the current context of our national conversation. And I appreciate you taking that opportunity, knowing that it's painful. And I am very sorry for your loss. Thank you. All right. You know how to get us. If there's any way that we can help, we're a phone call away. God bless going forward. Thank you. God bless you. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, the humanity that we should feel, no matter how you feel about the scenario, no matter how you feel how somebody should be accounted for for what they did in that moment, you can't lose the sense of the humanity. And we have a special guest tonight who connects that idea to culture and behavior. When your humanity is not regarded or respected, and you know it, and you know it from others, and you know from your own experience, and know from how you feel and how you feel you're seen. What does that do? What does that mean? How big a part of this problem that we're having is that reality? I want you to hear this really talented author make the case for how we have to see what's happening here. Next. There's something that you often hear with police encounters and people of color. Why didn't they just comply? All of this would have been averted. They just complied. Listen. Mr. Floyd had simply gotten in the back seat of the squad car. Do you think that he would have survived? I think he would have gone home or wherever he was going to go had he not been subjected to the prone and positional restraint that he was. So in other words, if he had gotten in the squad car, he'd be alive. He set off a chain of, of, of events that uh, unfortunately are, uh, led to his uh, death. What we're seeing in policing these days is that non-compliance by the public. Is that the truth? My next guest has an understanding that many of you may not, that we misunderstand compliance. We misunderstand its effect and we misunderstand its significance. My guest is Ibram X. Kendi, author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, and joins me now. Pleasure to meet you. Pleasure to be on the show, Chris. What do people miss when they say, just comply? First, they they miss all the people who, in fact, did comply, whether it's Philando Castile, who who complied and, and still died, or even more recently, Adam Toledo, who, who complied uh, to the police officers' uh, orders to stop, to drop it, to turn around, to show your hands, but was still killed. And they also miss that throughout American history, uh, Black people, other groups of people were told that it was our fault if we died, not the, the, the fault of the perpetrators. So you say compliance is a myth then what does that mean about what the problem is when you have altercations? I think 
what that means is that oftentimes these altercations in which police officers could have de-escalated the situation, in which police officers could have not chosen to use lethal force, in which police officers could have acted as if they cared for the lives of the people who they were policing. And instead of them recognizing that, instead of us collectively recognizing that, instead they blame the people who are shot, the people who are who, who, who were killed, the families who were grieving to say only if they would have complied. You know, as if even when we comply, and I can tell you this personally, Chris, you know, when I get pulled over and I get stopped by a police officer and I comply fully and I survive, I still feel lucky. That should not be the case. What would make a difference? What could we do that you believe would create better outcomes? Well, I think we need to completely reimagine uh, policing. We need to completely transform the problem. So we, we live in a country where people imagine that 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 communities, particularly black communities, are dangerous because of those dangerous black people. And in many ways, Americans and even police officers refer to black people as animals, just as politicians refer to to Latinx immigrants as as animals. And it's imagined that there's higher levels of violent crime because there's something wrong with those people, as opposed to those people are deprived of resources and jobs and opportunities. So we're flooding communities with police, with guns, um, with tanks, with prison cells, as opposed to resources. So I think we have to completely reimagine how to make our nation safe. What do you think will make that happen? I think first and foremost, if we can recognize that Black people are not dangerous, people of color are not dangerous, what is in fact dangerous is poverty. What is in fact dangerous is is long-term unemployment. What is in fact dangerous is, is things that many Americans are facing, which then leads to crime, which then leads to violence. And I think we have to get at the root of, of, of crime and violence and despair. And, and for whatever reason, we think the roots are, are people's skin color. And that's certainly not the roots. I always tell people when they want to play with numbers and they say, you know, the police go hard on white people a lot more. I say, adjust for poverty. That's where you'll see that the numbers are similar. Still, Uh, Apples to apples, it's going to be worse in communities of color. Poverty is the equalizer. Removing it will be the biggest agent. We've said it for a long time. We've known it's true, but we can't get there. Ibram Kendi, I have to say, uh, your book is an eye-opener for people, if for no other reason than what's on the title, and it gets much better as you read it. Uh, It's not just, I'm not racist. It's how do you be anti-racist? Thank you, sir. Appreciate you on the show. You have a place here. Thank you so much, Chris. Okay. Now, peaceful assembly in the Constitution, right? Doesn't mean that protest is always going to be 100% peaceful, right? People are going to yell. They're going to be outraged. They're angry. That's why they're there. But you have a right to do it, to say what you want. Be on the lookout. Maybe you don't anymore. Next. Bolo, be on the lookout. There's a wave of laws sold as increasing safety. Do they? The Florida governor signed a so-called anti-riot bill. This sounds good. The danger that he's calling out is so urgent, he says, that the law has to go into effect immediately. The governor himself said, you know what the threat is? Black people making their voices heard. That's something that can potentially happen where you basically have justice meted out because the jury is scared uh, of what a mob may do. Oh, yeah. That's how he explains the George Floyd murder verdict. So now, is he looking for love from the fringe, echoing a Fox fallacy that is as as obvious as what jurors identified in nine minutes and 29 seconds of video? No. It's a political power move. Part of more than 75 anti-protest bills in 32 states just since January. That's more than double what we've seen ever in a year. Just last week, We saw this same political party attack Dr. Fauci over the infringement of liberties. Yet you don't hear a word from any of them. 
when a state actually restricts liberty, the right to vote, or in this case, the right to protest. In Florida, it is now against the law to just be at a protest where something violent happens. Check it, okay? Not an exaggeration. Yet, in the articulation of the reality of the threat DeSantis sees, he never mentioned this. You know, the actual riot that we watched unfold on January 6th. They burned down their own communities. They hunted us at the Capitol. It was an insurrection. It was an act of terror. They attacked the cradle of our democracy, hunting our members of Congress. Odd that the same people who ignored the insurrection, the same people who say we don't need tougher hate crime laws or common sense gun restrictions because there are already statutes that make things like assault illegal. But now they feel the need to create two new crimes, a felony called aggravated rioting, which carries a prison sentence of up to 15 years and so-called mob intimidation. That's a misdemeanor. But anyone charged with it can be rounded up and by law must be denied bail until their first court appearance. Bail. You know, what some members of the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers were granted after the worst act of domestic terror in a generation. Look, everything you need to know about these laws can be found in what and who they are designed to protect. Oklahoma just followed Florida's lead. Iowa is also considering a bill to do this. Grant civil immunity to protect drivers who run over protesters. You know, like that white nationalist did in Charlottesville. Can you believe that somebody wants to protect your ability to have to pay for this? A bill in Indiana wants to make sure no one follows in the footsteps of John Lewis. Being a part of good trouble, like what we saw at the Edmund Pettus Bridge, that would prohibit you from holding any state employment. In Minnesota, Protesting would mean putting at risk your education, food to feed your family, or even your home. Yet in Florida, they made darn sure to protect Confederate statues, calling them so-called historic property. This is not subtle. It is not a coincidence, and it is not a misunderstanding. This is another attempt to carve America into us and them. So be on the lookout, because making laws to discourage liberty is about as far from the promise of America as you can get. We'll be right back. In honor of Earth Day, President Biden kicked off a virtual climate summit with 40 other world leaders announcing an ambitious new goal. Cut U.S. emissions by as much as 52 percent by the year 2030. It's nearly twice the level Obama pledged back in 2015. Critics on the right, see, he's a crazy lefty. Progressives, see, he doesn't go far enough. What's the truth? Or TNT, truth not told. Chris Saliza has the answer. Let's start with uh, the right poll, um, with the left saying, half measures, he's not one of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I think, Chris, this dates back to the campaign and back to Joe Biden's sort of career in politics. So he's a pragmatist, he's a deal maker. But if you look at the, you know, we're getting close to the first 100 days. If you look at the first 100-ish days, you see a lot of stuff that liberals should like. You mentioned climate. I'll throw in uh, D.C. statehood, which passed the House today, very uncertain in the Senate, but still a a major issue that liberals have long pushed. How about this, Chris? Four trillion, that's trillion with a T, trillion dollars in proposed spending. Two trillion has already been passed, 1.9 trillion on COVID stimulus. Another two trillion on infrastructure? These are proposals that if Barack Obama proposed them, if Bernie Sanders proposed a lot of them, liberals would really like. So the Joe Biden they thought they were getting deal maker cut deals with Mitch McConnell. We haven't seen too much of that just yet, at least, you know, through 100 days. And that's why the right says, so Liz is right. This guy's a commie. He's a socialist. That's what he is. And we told you he would be this Trojan horse. This is the problem. So. Donald Trump spent a lot of time during the campaign calling Joe Biden a socialist. I don't think it ever really worked. And I don't think this label has worked for Republicans either. I think one of the less told stories of this first 100 days is that they haven't been able to find a good way to label Joe Biden effectively. But here's why he's not a socialist. There's plenty of reasons. But he's not for Medicare for all. 
he, in our town hall, he was asked about canceling student uh, debt, student loan debt, said, I'm not going to do that. He hasn't signed on to the Green New Deal. And, and one other thing, Chris, the most popular thing uh, among liberals right now, getting rid of the filibuster in the Senate, the legislative filibuster entirely, right? Lots of Democrats saying we should do this. Republicans are blockading, et cetera, et cetera. Joe Biden has said, no, I don't think we should do this. And he stuck to it. So I think what's happened is both sides sort of caricatured Joe Biden. That's obviously what happens in our modern politics. You don't, you get a, you get a single sided guy. You don't get a three dimensional person, but he's neither the sort of timid pragmatist who's not going to do big things, sort of a bridge that a lot of people thought he was on the left, nor is he at least so far this wild-eyed socialist who's going to fundamentally transform the American economy and our way of life, he's something kind of in between those two things. Hmm. How about that? I wonder what we call Truth those. Truth Not Told. Oh, reasonable. Chris Saliza, TNT, <laughs> Truth Not Told. Thank you very much. And we'll be right back. Thank you, my friend. We saw something positive come out of the Senate today. After more than a year of hate, against our Asian-American brothers and sisters. Today, Republicans and Democrats aligned, voting overwhelmingly to pass a bill to help fight back. One exception, Senator Josh Hawley, ring a bell, this guy, uh, raised that fist before the attempted coup at the Capitol. I wave hello to everybody. It's not a wave. He's the only no vote, while 94 other lawmakers said yes. The bill creates a new DOJ role to expedite reviews of COVID-related hate crimes and establishes online reporting for them. Right now, we have to rely on unofficial numbers, and these are probably undercounted. Hawley explains the bill turns the federal government into the speech police. Let's bring in D. Lemon. Do you buy it, D. Lemon, star of stars? Do I buy what? What Josh Hawley says? Yes. Uh, no. And what this shows me, honestly, is how insignificant Josh Hawley is. And I would rather not spend my time talking about someone who's insignificant and who does not believe in uh, equity and equality for everyone. Obviously, there's an agenda behind what he's doing. He is an insurrectionist supporter and he should be marginalized because he is not in, in line. Uh, it's obvious and in lockstep with the majority of the American people want. So your overall point is good. We saw something that was bipartisan, which rarely ever happens in Washington. I don't want to focus on the one, I would say whatever, who, it, who did not go along with that. I think we should leave him to the margins and focus on the positive that happened. Josh Hawley, who cares? Nobody cares. He's insignificant. And stop talking about him. Yeah, that's Talk, what I said. Ask me about something that's else. That's what I said. That's what I said. It took you like five minutes to say. Well, because, you know, I just, again, and that's. You said his name like six we times. Should, but we should, that's, we, should, uh, we should focus in this moment on the important things that are happening in this country. That is very important. And so, yes, we, yes. And also what happened with the, the shootings, what's going on with that. That's really important that we discuss. And I think we had a very important uh, and illuminating conversation last night that the whole country uh, is having. And I think we should continue to have those conversations because uh, it is what resonates with the American people and it's what people want to see changed. And they also want to know how, quite frankly, how to feel about it and what, and what can be done about it and what their fellow Americans are saying and thinking about it. And I still stand by that we cannot treat all police shootings with the, in the same way. They're, You're they're absolutely not, right. We can't do they're that. They're 100% not equal. And the, I, the poor mom that you had on, I feel for her. But not every police shooting is the same. And we have to look at the evidence and what we know. No, and look, she's not here uh, to be tested on the facts of the matter. It's right. to remember, uh, no matter what you see, as justified or unjustified, there's a humanity at play. And I agree with everything you said except one thing. Mm. Everybody is not talking about it. That's why your book uh, is the success that it is and continuing to be. Because a lot of people don't know how to have the conversation or they are afraid to have the conversation mm -hmm. or they don't have somebody to have the conversation with. Yeah. And, you know, one, there, you know, we assume in some of the more cosmopolitan places in this country, that everybody has friends of all different races. Not true. Not true. And a lot of times people don't want to hear it. You know, that Micaiah Bryant um, case, boy, does that make it easy for a lot of people to say, see? Yeah. Now, shut up. Yeah. But what they miss is the nuance 
of how it seems like there's only going to be one outcome when it's a person of color. Yes, yeah. bad facts in this one that stand up and say this shouldn't have happened. Yeah. But imagine if there hadn't been body camera video. Yeah. Or uh, there's, a, there's also the video of the neighbor across the street, which uh, they now have. Um, and there is, listen, I was talking about it with a, a, some people today. You know, we were, I was at the gym. And they were talking about it. And they said, um, hey, Don, what if that had been a 40-year-old man? What color? With a knife. It doesn't matter. A 40-year-old man who was about to, to stab someone. What do you think the response would be? And I said, well, I, don't, I think it would be, I think people would feel a lot differently about it because they would see a man attacking a woman and they would say that the, the police officer needed to stop it in that instant. But, you know, I, I just, I, I don't think people understand, quite frankly, just honestly, what the chaos and what rolling up on a scene like that is like. And the, the seven I think it was like seven seconds, seven or nine seconds that the officer had to react. It is tragic. It is terrible. But imagine if the woman in the pink was your loved one and the officer didn't do what he did. You could be mourning the death of that woman, that young lady in the pink. And again, I know that people say, well, you should have shot for the leg. And does that, that's not, you, you had, what is your, what's the guy you have on with the glasses? I forget what you call him. Anthony Barksdale. Barks, you call him Barks. That's not the training for police officers. Police officers are trained to neutralize the threat. You do not pass leather, which is what, how they refer to like, yeah. you know, coming out of the holster. Yeah. If you are not planning to neutralize a threat right. and you must use equal or greater force. Yeah. So and they're not did, taking out that gun to do anything but put somebody down. But right, and to neutralize the threat, which is that's the training. And I'm sorry, this this is this You is, could rethink the training. This is a real I 100% agree with that. And so that's the whole idea about figuring out what we do with police in this society and um and how how police officers should be used and utilized. That's a whole another conversation. But as it stands now, that's what it is. And people, you know, shoot in the leg. People don't stab people with their feet. They're stabbing with their arms and their upper body. So the officer is shooting to neutralize the threat. The threat is coming from where? Here. That's where the threat's, and that's where he shoots to stop the motion of where the knife is coming from. And again, everyone's, what about a taser? Tasers don't always work in these situations. Talk to Barks or anybody Tasers else. Tasers don't always work full they stop. They don't always work full stop. It's just not, they're not efficient enough from that distance and that We don't even know if they've even brought down the level of lethality of yeah. stops. So There's just a study out about I it. I get it. Listen, everyone is very emotional. I understand it. It is tragic. I just think about if that woman in pink was my loved one, what would I want an officer to do? And all the comparisons about this happened to Kyle Rittenhouse, this hap- that's apples and oranges. It's, yes, it is, what happened to Kyle Rittenhouse is like, what? How, how on earth did someone with a gun, okay, that's, but that's a whole nother show, that's a whole nother story. And the, the, the video of the people that you were showing at the top of the show with police officers, those are people who were threatening police officers. The police officer's trained, he is trained to get out of the way of a threat, of a knife or a gun. That's the training. One of the cops was stabbed by a white guy. Right. And then wound up tasing him. Yeah. Didn't even shoot him right. after he got stabbed so maybe, by him. But, but maybe they should have, they could have done it a different way. But again, that's apples and oranges. If those people in the video that you showed or in any of those other situations are t- attacking someone in the moment... The police officers' actions, I believe, would be different in that moment because they would be trying to, one would hope, protect and serve the other life on that scene. Not someone attacking them. That's a different story. They are trained to neutralize the threat, even when it's on them. It's a whole different thing. They're not trying to stop the person who is going to stab or injure someone else in the videos that you showed and most of the situations that people are comparing it to. It is different. You can, you can get out of the way of a knife if you're a police officer and you're trained for it. But the, the, the individual, the layman, the average citizen is not trained in that. So the officer's duty is to protect a life that is in imminent danger. That's it. And, and I mean, I, 
That's just the honest truth. I don't, I'm just, and I'm being objective about it. I don't want to see anybody die, especially black lives right now, what we're dealing with. I think that the only, look, this is not a great case to fight on the facts about how policing has to change because this use of force was wrong. This ain't it. Um, I don't even know that the Chicago case is, but there are questions raised uh, in this about how many shots and what's the protocol. The latest reporting is that uh, the officer who shot uh, Micaiah Bryant is a trained sniper from the military. That might explain why he had the confidence to take the shot in the first place, because yeah. she was very close uh, to the other person. But did he need four shots? Is that part of the training? Should we talk about it? It's fine. That's part. What of I'm saying is- We should is talk about that. The reason that the case still matters to people of color, I'm not saying this to Don, I'm saying this to the audience. The reason that it still matters is they're just, they never see good outcomes. That's true. Whenever there's a problem and it's someone of color, they only seem to be hearing about it all the time with a bad outcome. And <laughs> don't it's I heartbreaking. Know that. Well, I'm saying, obviously, <laughs> yeah, I'm not telling you that. this. You yeah. told me this. Yeah. But that's why it still matters uh, to people. It's not as careful. It's not as easy as, didn't they see the knife? Yeah. Um, it's not that simple. It's that, where are the good outcomes? Where's the crazed black person with a knife stabbing a cop and just getting tased? Where's the crazed black person with a knife who cuts up their own family and the cops wait and talk them down and find a way to eventually have to get Yeah. They, they want to see Look, more of that, more of it going right well, that's, for people who are in the wrong. I got to tell you, that's a little hyperbolic. I get what you're saying. But um, th these situations are not comparable. That has nothing to do with uh, someone going after a cop. Again, a cop is trained to get out of the way of that. The average citizen is not. It's different. It's apples and oranges. It is not the same thing. And we have to stop comparing situations that aren't of equal value. That's it. And we've got to be honest about these things. And if we're not honest about these things as journalists, then it is it is a dereliction of our duty as journalists. It's journalistic malpractice not to do well, it. I heard some people were reporting on the incident without showing the knife. Yeah, you got to You got to show all of it is malpractice. Yeah. And again, that's looking for trouble. It's tough. And that's wrong. But this is where we are right now. And everyone is emotional. and I understand it. But um, we have to do our due diligence and we've got to we've got to um, talk about these things. And, and we've got to push transparency in every yeah. case. If you didn't have body camera footage released right away with Micaiah Bryant, you would have had people on the streets. Yeah. This case that they just had uh, where uh, the man was shot in the serving of in North Carolina of a warrant. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. Yeah. The police aren't releasing the body cam footage. That's a mistake. Yeah. If you don't have it, say they, it. They said they it need a court order. If it wasn't turned on, say it. They uh, should not need a court order to release it. Well, we, we shall see with that. Listen, I, I, I've got to go. And when I say God rest her, her soul, Micaiah Bryant, and I feel her family, I feel awful. It's a tragedy all the way around. Thank you, sir. I love you, Don. I love you as well. Talk to you later. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.